Welcome to the Faith Connections Podcast, a partnership between the Foundry Publishing, Nazarene Discipleship International, and Holiness Today. Welcome to our study this week of 2 Chronicles chapter 33, verses 1 through 16. My name is Scott Rainey. I serve with the Church of the Nazarene in the area of Nazarene Discipleship International, or NDI. This adult Sunday school video lesson is provided in collaboration between the Foundry Publishing and NDI. The Sunday school lesson is intended to support the local church's efforts to make disciples who make disciples. Please feel free to use this video in any way that helps your church or families. I'm sure that most, if not all of us, have watched a home improvement show on TV. These shows are fascinating as you watch skilled construction workers remake a house in 30 to 60 minutes. The final two minutes of these shows always do the same thing. The show ends with before and after images of the recreated home. We all love before and after stories. We like seeing what something was and then seeing what it has become. In this week's lesson, we will witness a dramatic before and after account in the life of King Manasseh of Judah. In recent weeks, we've been studying Second Chronicles as we search for lessons from the kings of Judah. In the last part of righteous King Hezekiah's reign in Jerusalem, his 12-year-old son Manasseh became his co-regent. It appears that they reigned together for approximately 10 to 12 years before Manasseh became the sole king of Judah at his father's death around approximately 687 BC. Manasseh was king over Judah for a total of 55 years, the longest reign recorded among the kings of Israel. His reign was tumultuous and occurred during the height of Assyrian power. Two different reports of King Manasseh are given in the Old Testament. One is found in 2 Kings chapter 21, and the other is in 2 Chronicles chapter 33. We will be looking at the account given in 2 Chronicles chapter 33, verses 1 through 16. 2 Chronicles 33. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He rebuilt the high places his father Hezekiah had demolished. He also erected altars to the Baals and made Asherah poles. He bowed down to all the starry hosts and worshipped them. He built altars in the temple of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, my name will remain in Jerusalem forever. In both courts of the temple of the Lord, he built altars to, the, to all the starry hosts. He sacrificed his children in the fire in the valley of Ben-Hinnom, ben practiced divination and witchcraft, sought omens, and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, arousing his anger. He took the image he had made and put it in the God's temple, of which God had said to David and to his son Solomon, in this temple and in Jerusalem, 
which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. I will not again make the feet of the Israelites leave the land I assigned to your ancestors, if only they will be careful to do everything I command them concerning all the laws, decrees, and regulations given through Moses. But Manasseh led Judah and the people of Jerusalem astray, so that they did more evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they paid no attention. So the Lord brought against them the army commanders of the king of Assyria, who took Manasseh prisoner, put a hook in his nose, bound him with bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon. In his distress, he sought the favor of the Lord his God and humbled himself greatly before the God of his ancestors. And when he prayed to him, the Lord was moved by his entreaty and listened to his plea. So he brought him back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord is God. Afterward, he rebuilt the outer wall of the city of David, west of the Gihon Spring in the valley, as far as the entrance of the fish gate and encircling the hill of Ophel. He also made it much higher. He stationed military commanders in all the fortified cities in Judah. He got rid of the foreign gods and removed the image from the temple of the Lord, as well as all the altars he had built on the temple hill and in Jerusalem. And he threw them out of the city. Then he restored the altar of the Lord and sacrificed fellowship offerings and thank offerings on it and told Judah to serve the Lord, the God of Israel. While still a preteen, 12 years old, Manasseh began his reign as king of Judah. Second Chronicles 33 verse 2 gives a general statement about his rule as king, saying he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. The verses that follow in 2 Chronicles 33 spell out how detestable his practices truly were. Let's take a quick look at how he lived and how he led his king. First, we learn in verse 3 that Manasseh, quote, rebuilt the high places his father Hezekiah had demolished. The high places were worship sites that were built on hills throughout Judah. High places were perceived to provide a closer proximity to the deities. With Israelites, high places became associated with the worship of false gods. So kings of Judah who built high places for worship were considered unfaithful to the Lord. And kings who demolished high places were considered faithful. You might remember from last week that King Hezekiah, Manasseh's father, removed the high places from Jerusalem. Manasseh rebuilt them. Second, we learn in verse 3 that Manasseh erected altars to the Baals and made Asherah poles. Baal was the storm god of the Canaanites and was thought to bestow fertility on all aspects of life, field, flock, fruit tree, and family. 
Baal's counterpart was Asherah, the fertility goddess. Altars to Asherah were built like an obelisk today. Picture for a moment the Washington Monument in Washington, D.C. Finally, Manasseh personally bowed down to all the starry hosts and worshiped them, according to verse 3. Judah's neighbors worshiped the sun and the moon, the most prominent of heaven's hosts, and as powerful deities. In 2 Kings chapter 21, verse 3, we're told that Manasseh did all these things as Ahab, king of Israel, had done. That statement about King Ahab of Israel is significant because it demonstrates Manasseh's political, economic, and commercial motives in reversing his father's reforms. He worshiped the gods of the neighboring countries and he formed alliances with those same nations. Historical evidence demonstrates that Manasseh reestablished the treaty relationship with Assyria that his grandfather Ahaz had established and that his father Hezekiah had broken off. Archaeologists have discovered what is called the Rossum Cylinder from the library of Ashurbanipal. It is a clay cylinder that details the royal records of Ashurbanipal, king of Assyria. On this cylinder, Manasseh and the kingdom of Judah are listed among the compliant kings. Today, this cylinder can be seen in the British Museum in London. As we move on to verse uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 33, verse 4, things go from bad to worse. Manasseh did all this evil. He was unfaithful to the one true God of Israel. In verse 4, Manasseh takes things a step farther by bringing these pagan altars directly into the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. The tone of verse 4 is one of shock. To demonstrate this shock, we're reminded that God had what God had said about his temple. In verse 4, it says, my name will remain in Jerusalem forever. Then in verses 7 and 8, it says, in this temple and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen out of all the tribes of, of Israel, I will put my name forever. I will not again make the feet of the Israelites leave the land I assign to your ancestors. If only they will be careful to do everything I commanded them concerning all the laws, decrees, and regulations given through Moses. Into this temple, dedicated and devoted to the worship of Yahweh alone, Manasseh brought the brought altars to the starry hosts and an Asherah pole, according to 2 Kings chapter 21, verse 7. This was God's house. This was personal. The scripture recounting of these verses is filled with disappointment and grief. In addition to all this, Manasseh sacrificed his children in the fire in the valley of Ben-Hinnom, practiced divination and witchcraft, sought omens, and consulted mediums and spiritists, according to verse 6. Child sacrifice was perhaps the most heinous of the Canaanite worship practices adopted by Manasseh. Archaeological evidence demonstrates that in the Valley of Hinnom, 
there was a bronze image of a god referred to as Molech. Apparently, this hollow image was heated by a fire built inside it. Children were literally burned alive on the outstretched arms of this man-made false god. For this reason, the Valley of Hinnom came to symbolize hell, the eternal fires of punishment. In every way, Manasseh had committed treason against God, Judah's true king. And according to the law of Moses, death was to be his penalty. Let me take a moment to point out a few additional things from these verses. When we talk about Manasseh's sin, we can really look at three aspects of his sin. First of all, it was personal sin. Manasseh himself bowed down and worshiped false gods, even sacrificing his own children to the false god, Molech. Second, it was corporate sin. Manasseh didn't just commit these sins privately. Manasseh rebuilt the high places and built altars to these foreign gods in the temple. These became part of the structure of Judah's worship and society. And third, it was generational sin. Manasseh enacted some of the same evil that his grandfather Ahaz had done in a previous generation. It's important for us to understand that people don't sin privately. Sin affects the person committing it, but it also affects others who are connected to the person sinning. Never listen to the lie of the enemy that says, ah, that doesn't affect anyone but you. Also, you might have noticed that in 2 Chronicles 33, verse 8, the author makes clear that Israel was only promised to remain in the promised land as long as they were careful to do everything God commanded them concerning all the laws, decrees, and regulations given through Moses. Israel's tenure in the promised land always depended on their faithfulness to the Mosaic Covenant. This is not spiteful on God's part, but rather a natural result of a people who moved away from the safety of God's created order. You see, ultimately, the continued existence and well-being of any society depends on faithfulness to the God who created us, faithful to live in relationship with him and with each other. We see this societal breakdown happening in our very eyes today as the foundation of scriptural truth is being questioned on issues of marriage, right to life, sexuality, and gender. When we persist in betraying God and his created order, as Manasseh led Judah in doing, the only possible end is the destruction of our human relationships. Judah's evil according to verse nine, had now surpassed that of the Canaanites. In the saddest statement in this passage today, verse 10 states, the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they paid no attention. It makes me wonder, how did the Lord speak to Manasseh and the people of Judah? God's intention was that his priests were to teach the covenant law set forth in the Torah or what we refer to today as the first five books of the Old Testament. Obviously, the priests had followed Manasseh, 
and were not doing what God called them to do. So God used prophets to speak to Manasseh and the people, according to 2 Kings chapter 21, verse 10. These prophets of Manasseh's time would have been Habakkuk and Zephaniah. The words, they paid no attention, are stunning. God was talking, but these people weren't listening. Lord, may this not happen to us today. Forgive us for ignoring your voice as you speak through your written word, through your body, the church, and through your still small voice. Throughout the Old Testament book of Judges, when the people were, were unfaithful and did evil in the eyes of the Lord and broke the covenant God had made with Israel, an oppressive external and sometimes internal force descended upon Israel. In those moments of distress, Israel cried out to the Lord and the Lord responded with grace and mercy, often raising up a deliverer to rescue them. In 2 Chronicles 33, verse 11, we learn that the Lord brought the army commanders of the king of Assyria to Jerusalem. They took Manasseh prisoner, humiliated him, and brought him to Babylon. Ashurbanipal, the king of Assyria would have used this imprisonment of Manasseh as a warning to future would-be rebels. While in Babylon, in humility, Manasseh repented of his sins and pled to the Lord for his restored favor, verse 12. According to 2 Chronicles 33, verses 18 and 19, Manasseh's prayer of repentance was recorded in the annals of the kings of Assyria and the records of the seers. Neither of these records have survived. So at this point, Manasseh's prayer is lost to us. A later Jewish writer composed what could be similar to Manasseh's prayer. It's included today in a collection of writings known as the Apocrypha. One line in the prayer is worth noting here. According to the to this writing, Manasseh prayed, and now I bend the knee of my heart. I acknowledge my transgressions. A great place for repentance to start is bowing the knee of our heart and acknowledging our transgressions. Manasseh's moment of repentance highlights the beautiful character traits of God, including compassion and forgiveness. Even after all the terrible things Manasseh did, God responded to Manasseh's humble repentance with grace and mercy. Verse 13 says, the Lord was moved by Manasseh's entreaty and listened to his plea. While for so long, Manasseh and Judah would not listen to God. When Manasseh turned back to God, God listened to Manasseh. A cardinal tenet of Wesleyan theology is that God's grace is available for all, regardless of how wicked their acts have been prior to awakening to the gospel of Jesus Christ. King Manasseh is an example of one of the most wicked people imaginable. Yet in place of in placing his faith in God, Manasseh was restored and transformed. Friend, it doesn't matter where you've been. If you come to God in humble repentance, he will forgive your sin and he'll make you 
new. Desiring to end our lesson on a high note, I'm going to share the bad news of this story first. We learn in 2 Chronicles 33, verse 17, that Manasseh cleared, uh, cleared Jerusalem of pagan worship sites, but did not remove the high places outside the city. Manasseh had influence for some good, as the people of Judah only made sacrifices to the Lord at those leftover high places. The continued existence, however, of these high places were a temptation that Manasseh's son, Ammon, did not resist. Today, we must be reminded of the importance of following God with all of our heart. Partial obedience to God or partial attention to his voice falls short of God's desire for us and will result in harmful discipleship to the next generation. Just over half a century following Manasseh, many who survived the end of the kingdom disasters were carried off to Babylon, just like Manasseh had been years earlier. But let's end on the good news of Manasseh's story. God not only forgave Manasseh, one of the most evil kings of Judah's history, he even restored Manasseh to his throne in Jerusalem. Verse 13 says, then Manasseh knew that the Lord is God. Forgiven, restored to his throne, and transformed on the inside, Manasseh began to make renovations in the nation of Judah. He rebuilt the walls and gates around the city of David, verse 14. He stationed military commanders in all the fortified cities of Judah. Then he began to clean up the mess he had created with altars to foreign gods. Second Chronicles 33, verses two through nine, detailed the deliberate, careful, and prolonged program of establishing a nation in rebellion to God. Verse 15 stands in sharp contrast with a short, forceful, sweeping totality of the removal of all the detestable things in Jerusalem. The scripture simply says, he threw them out of the city. Finally, after clearing the temple of the altars to foreign gods, verse 16 reveals that Manasseh restored the altar of the Lord and sacrificed fellowship offerings and thank offerings on it and told Judah to serve the Lord, the God of Israel. Even after all the, the evil things that Manasseh did, he was not out of the compassionate reach of a holy and merciful God. Psalm chapter 103, verse 8, declares the truth in these words. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Thank you for listening to the Faith Connections podcast. If you wish to order Faith Connection materials for your local church, please visit thefoundrypublishing.com. If you've enjoyed this production and wish to hear more, visit holinesstoday.org slash podcast or find us on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts.